Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back to The Daily Show, everyone. I am so excited to be here again with y'all. I'm Caroline. I'm your host. And today I have a couple really exciting guests with me. We are going to talk about staying top of mind with professional persistence. So if you're looking for tactics to stay top of mind with your prospects, you're in the right place. Before we dive in, I want to introduce Emmy Johnson and Sean Murray. Uh, Emmy is the VP of Sales at Marina Life, and Sean is a sales development member, a manager at Cogna. Cogna. <laughs> Lord, can y'all tell I have not had enough coffee this morning? <laughs> um. So before we dive in, I want everyone who has joined us to scan this QR code. Now, save this for later because um, we're going to dive into our show content. But scan this QR code and you're going to get access, instant access, to a ton of really fantastic content from the Sell Better team. So if you're looking to level up your selling game in 2023, this is really the place to be. I can firsthand attest to Sell Better's amazing effect on sales teams. And of course, I would like to thank our partner, Apollo, which is the company I work for. So it's always really exciting to be able to partner uh, with them. For helping to make these shows possible, um, Apollo is fantastic. And actually, it's our daily drop of the day. So we're going to put that in the chat. Uh, the daily drop of the day is to sign up for Apollo for free. We have a free Chrome extension, um, and it's a really fantastic tool. So before we dive in, I want to set the agenda. Uh, today, we're going to talk about constructive ways to end a cold call and keep future discussions open. So everyone has probably handled the objection, now is not the right time. We're going to talk about how to kind of work around that, work with that. Second thing we're going to cover are tools and resources to stay top of mind without being too pushy. I bet one of the reasons everyone is joining this call is because they're a little worried that staying top of mind and being persistent as a salesperson is making them pushy. So we're going to talk about how to navigate that. And we're also going to talk about key elements of an effective follow-up sequence. So I don't know if everyone here has a sequence for follow-up. That's definitely a best practice that we're going to talk about. And we're going to dive in. Before we do, one last question. I want to know who's in the room. Uh, so let us know who you are. Uh, please feel free to further introduce yourself in the chat. Tell us where you're from. We always like getting a sense for where everyone is. But uh, Emmy, Sean, let's kick it off. Where are y'all from? What do you guys do? Thanks for being here. Maybe just give a quick intro uh, of, of both of yourselves for the group. I'll let you go ahead, Emmy. Oh, I was going to let you go first. Hi, um, Emmy Johnson. I am the VP of sales for Murray in Life. Um, before that, I led global sales development teams. So I've done it all. Um, I'm in the Baltimore, Maryland area. And I'm a single mom and have three crazy kids that are in elementary school. Thank God, finally, the summer's over. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I'm Sean Murray. Uh, I'm a sales development manager over at Conga. Before that, I was an account executive at Salesforce. And prior to that, a BDR at Salesforce as well. So a little bit of experience with following up. Um, and a little bit about me, you know, uh, married, have a beautiful 10-month-old daughter, so a new girl dad, um, but super excited to be here. That is awesome. And as you all hopefully know at this point, I'm Caroline. I hail from Austin, Texas. I have two insane dogs that you will probably see in the background of this show. Let's dive in. Uh, so Emmy and Sean, let's start with the objection, not right now. 
Um, classic objection. How do you both handle it? Emmy, why don't you talk us through how you'd handle this objection? I I think the biggest thing is figuring out if it's really the the objection, right? And hopefully you've gained that through your conversation, whether there really is something behind it, there's a competing priority, like conflicting stuff, or it's just a blow off and they're just trying to get you off the phone, which can be the case. So really, I think before you just handle it and figure out how to follow up and and stay top of mind, it's is that actually an objection? Is that really the issue going on? Or they just don't care, don't want to talk to you, want to get you off the phone. So I think hopefully you've gotten to that um, throughout the conversation a little bit, what's going on. And if this is, if your product or service or whatever is something that they actually could use, I think that's the biggest thing that I always tell reps all the time is there's plenty fish of the sea. I, we're not going to force a square peg through a round hole. I don't want you to keep wasting your time chasing someone down. Let's make sure there's an actual good fit. And if it's not, that's totally fine to cut bait and say, hey, we can part ways as a friend. This is not like I'm not offended and move on. So. Yeah. Sean, what do you think as as a leader of sales development reps? I'm sure you're I'm sure your people tell you all the time that they get this objection on cold calls. How would you handle this one? Yes. Well, it is. I You know, first thing I want to point out, it is cold outreach, right? So realistically, they weren't expecting expecting to hear from you. Um, so it is going to be a common objection you're going to get, right? Um, so I think the key behind it is really digging into, have I built enough value around my tool? Have I found enough pain for it to become a priority right now? Or um, like Emmy said, right, are there conflicting priorities, right? Are there other things that are going on with the business right now that they're focusing on? If so, I want to find out what those are, what those priorities are, what they're trying to solve for, right? So I think it comes down to um, asking the right questions on the cold call and kind of stepping into the uncomfortable by calling it out, being like, okay, what do you mean by not right now? What does that actually mean, right? So leaning into that objection and figuring out what what is most important for that prospect. Yeah. And Mike said something kind of interesting in the chat here. Mike says, well, how about just getting their interest before like handling this objection or kind of dealing with this? And I think that's a really important call out. It kind of touches on what Emmy was just saying, where it's like, what's the root of this objection? Is it shallow? Is it deeper? Um, And Sean, something I heard you say, too. So what are some ways that you can kind of tell if you just are getting happy ears versus whether this could actually be a legitimate objection? Like, what are some ways that y'all would suss that out? Well, I think for me, for me, like I said, is digging into that actual question, like what what is top of mind right now, right? I think, you know, it all starts with how you open up the cold call. Like you should be coming in with a hypothesis. Hey, this is what I think is going on with your business based on what I'm seeing with current customers, right? If it's not what's going on with your business, what is going on with your business? Is there somewhere we can fit in, right? So you should be um, should be hypothesizing that pain coming into that coming into that cold call with an assumption, so to speak, right, of what's going on with their business. And then they're either going to tell you, hey, you're right, or they're going to say, no, that is not, you know, that is not what's going on with our business. And hopefully you can lean in and find out what's actually happening or if there could be a potential fit. Yeah, that's great. I agree. And just following up on that, I think the hardest thing for any salesperson, especially um, people that are young in their career and just starting off is like asking those tough questions because it feels uncomfortable. But the best thing you can do is just dig and dig and dig and just keep peeling back those onion layers. Like, what do you mean when you say that? 
you know, I was thinking, I was joking, but when you were saying, Sean, about um, this is not a good time. Well, is like now not a good time? Should I call you back in an hour? Like, you know, like what it, What do you mean by not a good time? But it, that's in everything. It's just clarifying every single thing that they say and just asking another question and keep going, keep going, keep going. And then you really get to the root of whatever the problem is. And if finding out if whatever your solution solves, if they actually have that pain, mm. you know, something that they're struggling with. And let's play this scenario out. So let's say that you've uncovered that, you know, it really is a timing objection. They are interested. You've gained their interest. You've hypothesized a pain appropriately. Let's say they're locked into a contract for the next like three months and you just seriously can't do anything about it. How do you like what are some ways that you could end that cold call? Let's say it's a cold call. What are some ways that you can end that call to make sure that you're still going to stay top of mind to make sure that you you know, build that relationship with that person? What are some things that you can actually say on the phone? Well, Sean and I were talking about this before about like, you always want to get them on a meeting. That's your end res- Like, it's so much, you're so much better like having a conversation than just like stand- sending them anything or saying top of mind. That's always going to be your number one goal. If you can't do that, then there's like your backup plan of how is it best to stay in touch with you and stuff and what can I send you? But you still want to try to ask them to get on a meeting. Hey, you're in a contract. That's I totally get that. But I would still love you to compare what you're doing or get your feedback. Is this even something that you would consider when your contract's up? You know, I would love to learn more about what you like and don't like about what you're currently using because maybe we're not the right fit for you. I always um, go the opposite, you know, instead of being like, we do this and we do this and we do that better. You know, it's, kind of being like, hey, you know, it, it might not even be the right fit for you, but I would love you to tell me that. I'd love you to see it and to ask questions so that I know if this is. If not, then I don't want to keep bugging you. I don't want to stay. I didn't even want to stay in touch for a year if if this is not even something that you want to consider down the line. Yeah. 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 And Carolyn, it's three months is the perfect time to evaluate new software, you know? Yeah. So well, you need that three months to evaluate software, right? Um, but exactly uh, what Emmy said, you know, I think the most important thing is driving them to a discovery call, right? Because that's where you're really going to learn about their business. It's very difficult on a three minute, five minute cold call to really understand their processes and understand what's going on with their business and to determine if you are a good potential fit, right? Um, even if you're the best at cold calling, it's just, you know, it's not the setting right? So I always love to try to get them to that call, like Emmy was saying, because that's where I can really understand if we're going to be a good fit or not. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't work, you know, like they just don't want to give you the time. Um, and they'll say like, hey, you know what? I'm just really busy. Can you send me some information? I'll keep it on file and, you know, I'll reach out. And in which case, like you can and, you know, you can set up a way to stay in touch with them. But I always like to throw like one last ditch effort in to get the meeting and say, look, I can send that over to you. What's your best email address? Absolutely. What would be the most relevant? What do you want to see? Keep asking questions. And then like, look, I'm going to send you all this information. I know you have full intention of reading it all, but I'm, I know how busy you are. Does it make more sense for us to hop on a 30 minute call and I show you live real time? You can ask questions because the last thing I want is for me to send information and you to have more questions than answers. Let's, you know, cut to that real quick and then we can part ways as friends if it's not the right fit. Um, so I like to try one last ditch effort. And if not, then I'll send in the information and follow up. 
Yeah. And I, I think I was telling you guys this when we did our pre-call uh, or pre-show call, but I always like to end calls with, hey, you know, it, how can I stay top of mind for you without being overwhelming? Yeah. What kind of content, like to your point, Emmy, like what kind of content do you want to see for me? What would be most valuable for you Yeah. without being overwhelming? And I hear what both of you are saying is I think it's just better to get them on a meeting. And Sean, what I really like that you said is it takes three months to evaluate software anyway. Like if they're telling you that they're not going to be ready to talk for a little while, you can kind of throw out that, you know, hey, it sounds like you're already using this. Maybe you're seeing some success with it, but it probably would take you a little while to evaluate the two tools up against each other anyway. So why not? And <laughs> it's a very rare situation that you only have one person involved in buying. So like not only this person is going to have to see it, but likely a lot of other people or other departments and that takes a while to your point. So yeah, why not get it started? Yeah. And question for both of you too. So something that I don't even think I shared with you on the pre-show call, something I like to do at the end of a successful cold call. And we all know that the only way to end a cold call successfully isn't just to book the meeting. We can still get some good you know, nuggets of, of gold. I like to ask people, hey, Emmy, we had a great chat just now. You know, I, is it all right if I just say that we spoke and, and kind of reference our conversation when I reach out to so-and-so on your team? Nine times out of 10, your prospect's going to be like, eh, yeah, why not? Like we did speak, you know, but what's the harm? And then you can leverage that. You can you can make that the subject of line of your next email to Emmy's coworkers, or you can leverage that conversation so that you're not going in totally cold. What do you all think about that? Is that is that weird? <laughs> um, I think yeah. it, anytime you can get a warm like lead, it's better than just being cold. So if, if they're giving you permission, then absolutely another opportunity to ask for referrals. I don't think we do it enough in general. And at every single point of the sale, we should be, hey, I know you're busy right now, but do you know anybody else that you think this might be a good fit for that I should reach out to? They might say no, but then you're in the same place. Like, why not ask? And if they do give you one, hey, there's a subject line, John, whatever said, I should reach out to you. And I think, Caroline, it's so important to ask for that permission because you can get in a lot of trouble if you just reference someone and then you're locked out of an account, right? So it's really important to make sure you get that permission. But I love that. I mean, obviously, they're a familiar name within the organization. They can look them up in Workday, whatever, Teams, you know, Slack and see that name um, and actually ping them saying, do you have, did you have that conversation? Was it a good conversation? Hopefully it was a good conversation. Then you actually are going to get that person on the phone, you know? So it's really important that you actually have a good conversation prior to asking for a referral. And that's a good point too, like that when someone says that they're too busy or now it's not a good time, it's good to clarify anyway, because maybe it's not a good time for them, not a good time to talk about it in general. So, hey, I totally understand. Is there someone else at your organization that I should have this conversation with now that might open a different door, you know? Yeah. I love that. And I love to use the research referral tactic. I know I've talked about some uh, this tactic on some other calls. So those of you who are longtime listeners might might uh, might remember this one. But when you come to a cold call, you should always have some research referrals on deck so that if you're talking to someone who's too busy or maybe not the best fit, you can always say, hey, Emmy, is Sean from the X department better to speak with about this because of X, Y, Z? And then Emmy can either confirm or deny. And if she says yes, it's like, oh, great. Do you mind if I reference that we spoke when I reach out to him? That will give you such a better chance of A, getting in touch with them and B, getting them to listen to you. Um, Y'all, this is so great. Let's move on to, I want to talk a little bit about um, resources to stay top of mind. 
So I know we talked through these four resources and I want to get y'all's take. I know, Sean, you had some really interesting stuff to say about 10K reports. I'd love for you to define that for those in the audience who might not know what that is and maybe tell us a little bit about where to find those reports, how to navigate them and why they're useful for fault. Yeah. So typically a public company will, um, well, they have to have a 10K report. So usually it's because they're public, right? Um, then within the 10K, where you're going to find the 10K report is typically on their website, right? If you just search on Google company name 10K, it will pop up, right? So I make it simple instead of trying to like navigate through their website. If I know they're public, I'm going to just search company name 10K. And then what I'm looking for in the 10K is any strategic initiatives that align to my solution, right? Like what is top of mind for their business um, within that 10K? Usually they put strategic initiatives that align with my solution because then you're using the company's words instead of your own to align to your solution, you know? So that's why I love 10Ks because it, it is something that they're putting out there that this is what's top of mind for us. I really like that. Put a one in the chat if you've ever leveraged a 10K report and put a two in the chat if we just taught you what a 10K report is. Um, you know, personally, I didn't know what a 10K report was until about three months ago. So I think that that's really cool, uh, Sean. And Emmy, can you talk to us a little bit about the first few things on this uh, list here, how you would leverage this or how you would help your team leverage these? Sure. I, I mean, I think the biggest thing, and we talked about this a little bit, was um, a common mistake is putting everything in one email. So when they tell you, can you send me some information? I you know, like I'll put it on file or I'm busy, whatever. Your instinct is to send them everything that you have, yeah. which is not wrong. But the problem is then you don't have a reason to keep reaching out. You have nothing else. So if you send them, kind of spread it out and you send them like one thing at a time, then you have a reason to reach out to them. Hey, thought you would be interested in this white paper. You know, here's a case study that we have. So um, the ones that are on there are if you have if your company has content about you know it doesn't even have to be about your product like it could be a data sheet like maybe that's what you send for the first one here's some general information here's an overview of our product or service then maybe you send them a white paper about the problem in general that you're solving it doesn't even have to be specific but why it's important that you're solving it um so there's a lot of things and and you know i am a big believer in you know like you said, Caroline, figuring out what's the best way to keep in touch with them and how often. But then as long as you make it relevant, they don't have to respond every single time, but you're staying top of mind. They're remembering you, they're remembering their your company. Um, and I think that's the most important. So it can be everything from just emails with those content to tagging them in a LinkedIn post or, hey, thought of you when I saw this or, or sending it to them, you know, um, just anything. It doesn't have to be something for your company that you're sending them and just in general to stay top of mind. That's really the most important. Yeah. And I want to double click on something you said, Emmy, which is sometimes reps will send the whole kit and caboodle uh, to a prospect to follow up. They'll send every single collateral, white sheet, PDF. Don't do that, right? Because that's so overwhelming for your prospect to receive in an email. It's like 16 attachments and you're like, where do I start? How is any of this relevant for me? What's the most relevant thing? So, Emmy, we were talking about this the other day, but I'm curious how you would instruct your reps. Would you have your reps bucket their ICPs into categories and maybe create some relevant stuff for each persona type? Like, can you talk us through a little bit? And Sean, I'm curious on your take after two. How would you have your reps prepare 
for for sending stuff like that. Absolutely. If your company has things that are ICP specific, I think it depends on your industry. But um, like when I worked in cybersecurity for a long term, a long time, like if we are, you know, calling on financial financial institutions, what they care about is very different than someone in retail. And we would have collateral for different industries that we're calling on. So it really just depends. But I think if your company doesn't have it already created, that's on you to say, okay, this is not going to be relevant for them. A lot of times it's generic enough. If it's like a one pager or something, it's just an overview. It's going to be generic enough that you can send it to whoever. But that's where your the personalization in your emails comes in because it shows that you know what they care about. So making your emails relevant or you know, the blog post or whatever that you send them around something that is important to them that don't tie back to, you know, your value proposition, what you guys do. Yeah. Sean, what do you think? I'm curious on your take to running an SDR team. How, how do you how do you help them kind of prepare for this stuff? For sure. I mean, I think, you know, running plays is so important, right? Defining the ICP that you're trying to target, right? So for me specifically, when I was an SDR, right, um, Salesforce was verticalized. Like, so I only had to reach out to enterprise providers as an SDR, right? So that was super nice because I had to learn that super well. But if your solution touches multiple different industries and can help multiple different personas, and you're trying to do all of it at once, you're going to be in trouble because you're going to try to talk to a finance person, then you're going to talk to a salesperson, then a procurement leader, right? You're going to get words mixed up. You're not going to be clear and concise. So first strategizing on like who you're targeting that month, why you're targeting them. Um, and then of course, if you're, if your company is nice enough to have like a blog or, you know, have white sheets or, um, data sheets specific to that industry, cause like Emmy said, you know, healthcare companies are going to use your solution different from, you know, a SaaS company, right? It's going to be very, very different, right? So making sure that it's relevant to the use case, but always tying it back to the pain that you got from that original call, right? If you're not providing value on every single follow-up, you're missing the boat, you know, because at that point, it's just going to be sent to, they're going to just delete it right away, right? So it has to be relevant to the reason why you're reaching out, not just, oh, you know, this sounds cool. Let me just send it over, right? Uh, So you kind of have to tell a story. So like Emmy said um, something that I kind of want to, reiterate is like not sending everything at once, leaving those breadcrumbs, right? It's like watching Inception for the first time, but watching it from the very end, right? <laughs> Instead of watching the entire movie through, like you're going to be like, oh, great. Well, I don't want to watch the rest of the movie, right? Yeah. So like they're going to ignore everything coming to you. So you're kind of like teasing them a little bit like, hey, you know, we can really help you. This is how, you know, like, so until they grab at something and you don't know what touch that's going to be on, that's why it's so important and or what content's going to resonate. So that's why it's so important to try different, different, different mediums, so to speak. You know, true. It's so true. And the thing is, for those SDRs in the room, and for anyone who prospects, really, you know, keep in mind your job is to earn intrigue. It's not necessarily to the to to sell the software on the first call here. So if you can earn that curiosity from people, you're not going to give away the whole your whole deck of cards in one fell swoop. So to Sean's point, you're breadcrumbing right? Like you're kind of teasing out interest, seeing what might be interesting to them. It's less overwhelming. Um, Question for everyone before we launch into our next kind of topic here. We're going to talk a little bit in a sec about how many steps should be in a follow-up sequence, cadence, nurture, whatever you call it. 
Um, so I'm curious to know what y'all's thoughts are. So answer this uh, question here in the poll. What what are what's the ideal number of steps in a follow up sequence or follow up nurture? Well, I get around answering that. I just wanted to make one more point, especially for SDRs that maybe are new to the game and are sending a bunch of stuff. Remember that what's on the collateral is in we get it internally no problem because we see it all the time we talk about it all the time that does not mean that your prospect understands it so think about when you're sending something and this is the other reason you don't want to send everything at once because it is overwhelming to caroline's point but every single piece it's like don't assume that they'll look at it and be like oh i totally get it we need this yeah like you have to explain a little bit what it is because they don't work at your company. They don't understand it. They don't talk about it every day like we do. So, yeah, absolutely. Text is key. Each email should be able to stand alone. Like, that's something that an old enablement leader of mine would tell me. And I'm going to show a screen here, and I might be calling some of y'all out. Who here has sent an email that says something like this? You're going to sales jail. Oh, uh, Sean, do you want to talk a little bit about why this is not the best way to follow up with the prospect? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's just annoying, right? When we talk about being professionally persistent, it's providing value. There's no value in this, right? It's just it's just you trying to elicit a response, right? It's like, did you get my call? And then it becomes telemarketing a little bit, if that's even a word, right? You know, um, we all hate getting those calls, you know, um, so it's kind of like that a little bit in my se- it, from my perspective. Yeah. And, and from like the buyer perspective, if you see that, like, you know, right away, it's a sales email and you're going like delete. And we were saying like, I we have a healthy appreciation for the persistence, obviously, because we're in sales. So it's a little bit different. But remember, like who you're calling on, like a lot of people don't. So just be careful and be mindful of that. Yeah. And I think my pet peeve is when people send stuff like this out of an email thread. It's like, who are you? Am I supposed to go find your other emails in my inbox? This isn't a scavenger hunt, people. Like, for sure, send emails within the same thread to keep everything relevant and top of mind. But I would definitely steer super, super clear from sending anything like this. Someone in the chat said, like, what do you think about inbound versus outbound? So actually, um, Selena, I... I will say this, you're, it's different a little bit when it's inbound. If someone's raising their hand and saying, I'm interested in your product and they're not getting back to you, I think you have a little bit more leeway to do those things. Like, did you see my email? Um, because you're responding to them. You're not just reaching out to someone. I'm glad that someone brought that up in the chat because I was waiting for someone to ask, like, what about inbound versus outbound? That's a really good question. Let's talk about that for a sec because I think it's important. So inbound, obviously, these are the hand raisers. These are the people who are filling forms out. These are the people who are expressing some interest, right? Whereas outbound, they might not even know who you are, what you do, right? It, depending on your brand awareness or lack thereof, people might have no idea what your company does. I think, you know, Emmy, I, wa- I want to hear you kind of expand on that a little bit. Do you think that the sequence structure should change follow-up wise when it's someone inbound versus outbound? And if so, how and what might that what might that sound like? What might that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So first clarify, we're talking about like true inbounds, someone raising their hand and saying they're interested in a demo, they're interested in learning more, they're they want pricing, like they're th- these are true inbounds, not an MQL that's engaging with some content that your marketing team put out there. That is different. Like, yes, it's warmer because they're engaging with your brand, 
it's still not a an inbound. An inbound is a true hand raise, as I like to call them. Um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, the sequence should be different because when we're talking about like, you know, annoying people or whatever, these are people that are saying, I want your service. If they are filling out a form and requesting information from you, they are likely doing the same for competitors. Um, and just, I want to see you all skits back to me. So the, the faster you can get back to them and the more often, the better. Um, I used to work at Docheba, for those of you who are familiar, um, they're a big learning management um, cloud-based software. We had a big inbound team. We would get a lot of inbounds. And one of my reps was very, like, they were all high producing, but he, he was like way better than the other. The, and I said, tell me about like what's happening. How, what's your, what's the secret? What, why are you doing so much better? And he said, one of the problems is, or one of his, um, the reasons was that most people would put them in an inbound sequence that was pretty aggressive, like, hey, hey, hey. But what he would do is when they would finish the sequence, everybody else would just move on and forget about that person. If they didn't respond, they didn't get a hold of them. Okay, and on to the next. He would take that that list and put them in a different sequence or continue to follow up with them indefinitely because he was like, at one point, whether they got busy or whatever, they raised their hand. They were interested in us. I'm not going to stop. So I think it is very, very different. And so the initial sequence definitely should be aggressive. But if it's an inbound, like you should not stop until you get a no. For sure. 100%. Sean, talk to us about this because I know you had very similar thoughts when we were talking about how many steps in a follow-up sequence. Do you think that there should be unlimited steps until you get a yes or a no? Like, what do you think? Oh, 100%. I don't think you should stop reaching out. I mean, it, it all comes down to prospect selection, right? Like, if you're just reaching out to hundreds and hundreds of prospects at a time, like, yeah, there's no way you're going to have to, you're going to be able to follow up indefinitely with them, right? So, it has to be more strategic in terms of who you're prospecting, right? And who you're picking in sequence. Like if I'm putting someone in sequence, I want to get in touch with them. So I'm going to keep reaching out or providing value for them until they give me a no or a yes. Like they're pretty much saying, hey, if they're not responding to me, um, they're pretty much saying, hey, keep, keep them coming. Keep them coming. They have every right to just say, we've all gotten those unsubscribe, right? I'll still push back on that too, but um, we still get those unsubscribes, you know? Um, they have every right to just respond and tell you no. Like, your job is to elicit a response. Like, so get them to respond, you know? Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah. And Emmy, you said something the other day about categorizing why the opportunity hasn't moved forward to kind of help your internal team glean insights on, okay, if this was an inbound person who raised their hand and then they en ended up saying no... We got to understand that. Can you talk a little bit about how to categorize that and kind of yeah. how to help your internal team make the most of those insights? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is something you would obviously have to move up the chain if you're, but I can, um, I just create fields in our CRM and stuff like that. But this is something you should talk to your leadership about because the more data, the better. And so if we're having conversations and I realize, okay, this is on, this is long-term because product, but we didn't have a list of, okay, if you pick long-term because of product, we didn't have a pick list of what feature is missing that they're waiting for, what good is it, Jimmy? So we get very, very granular. We actually have a stage for opportunities called long-term, and then they have to pick a long-term reason like why is it in long-term and then 
you know, some of them have, if it's competitor, that it has, you know, which competitor, and it's usually because they're in a contract, and that's the reason. Um, but the more data you can get out, the better. And the same thing goes for like inbounds versus outbounds, like where are they going and what um, lead source they're coming from. Are demo requests higher performing than, you know, interest in more information or whatever? Yeah, that's a that's a really, really great kind of way to filter that internally and make the most out of those insights. And Trey said something interesting in the chat. So MQLs, those who filled out a form to like read a white paper, go to webinar, um, those are not inbound leads. You know, typically at companies, they are considered inbound leads, but you should have ways internally of distinguishing hand raisers from a webinar attendee or from a white paper reader or, you know, something that's a little less showing a little less like glaring intent versus someone who's asked for pricing. So it's a really good point to bring up, Trey. And I think to Emmy's point about categorization and filtering internally, you've got to have ways to kind of separate uh, and cut through the noise of people who are just reading white papers or downloading PDFs and people who are asking for pricing or, you know, asking for a quote or asking to talk to sales, et cetera. That's um, an organizational thing. Like if your organization considers those inbounds, um, that's different. But I would still want that granularity. We don't. Like I only consider a true hand raise as an inbound versus they might be a higher scoring lead if they attended a webinar um, because the likelihood of them converting is higher than someone who just downloaded a white paper and is interested about you know the topic and I I know I do that all the time I, like that's very interesting I'll download the content that doesn't mean I want to buy your product yeah yeah <laughs> I don't even remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday morning, let alone what I downloaded because it was free like a week ago. So, Sean, I'm going to let you take our first question here. Um, someone asked, when referencing what you learned about a company's direction from their 10K or another uh, source, do you specify where you got that information from? Yeah, always, always, right? You want to reveal your source as to where because... Um, They'll probably know it. And if they don't know it, um, that's a problem, right? You know, um, but they, they should, they should know, you know, it's coming from their 10K because it's their strategic initiatives. And I'm guessing it's, you know, it's, it's voiced across the entire organization. Yeah. But always, always let them know and share, you, you share specifics of like what you were looking at too, you know? Yeah. And you said something earlier. I want to kind of double click on it. When you're reaching out to someone referencing something that you read, trying to stay top of mind with reports and things like that, you're still trying to hypothesize a reason as to why this ties back to what you could potentially be selling to them. Um, so really, really great. Let's let's take another question here. Emmy, what's a good way to be persistent with a prospect who you know is a good candidate for your product, but you have not connected with them? Um, so but assuming that the analytics you're looking at are correct and that they're interested should you ask permission before you send content if you haven't connected yet? I mean, it would be hard to ask permission if they don't respond to you. So, I mean, you can, but they're they're not responding, so you might as well. Um, but I think if you know in your heart that someone's like a really good fit, uh, and maybe there's a reason they're not responding, right? Like maybe they're using a competitor already and you just don't know that and that's why they're not responding but you got to get to that information um i'm a big fan of strip lining at some point like in the sales cycle whether it's you after you had a meeting and they all of a sudden ghost and you've been talking to them a lot or you know whatever you've had conversations you can't get a hold of someone um so for those of you who aren't 
familiar with the term strip lining. It's it's kind of like a, a last ditch email, but it's it's more aggressive. So I've seen a lot of like last ditch emails that are very that are too passive. So they give the customer an out. Like they don't there's no reason that they need to respond. Um, and so and they're like, well, they're not responding. I sent them a last ditch. Well, the strip line and it comes from the like the fishing term, like stripping the line. So instead of like you get a fish on the hook, instead of just reeling them in right away, you lose them. You give them some some line. And then when they feel comfortable, you reel them in. And so the same thing, emails, eventually you strip line them. And it's usually like, you know, I'm assuming by your lack of response that I did something to offend you. You know, I'm very sorry. And it's, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not reaching out to you anymore. That's it. Like it's it's literally like that that hard. And, and when it's someone that is a really good fit, it's, hey, I really thought that this could be a value to you because, but it seems by your lack of response, you're not interested. Best of luck to you. Not like, let me know if that's like, you know, if I'm wrong or whatever, like, it's really like, you know, it's really like kind of, and, and you'll know if they don't respond, then move on. Again, yeah. the not worth wasting your time chasing them down. If they aren't, they'll call you back. I love the fishing analogies. Plenty of fish in the sea or, yeah, and Selena said something that I love in the chat. Selena says that instead of, instead of a breakup email, sending a talk to you later email. So, I mean, that kind of sounds similar to what you're saying. Like, we're not breaking up. We never dated. Right? Yeah. You never even talk to the prospect. You can't break up with someone you're never with. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's also one big point I want to point out. You know, that's why multi-threading is so important. Like if I can't get in touch with higher ups, right? I'm going back down and actually learning about their business and finding out what pain their reps are seeing. Like, for example, if I'm reaching out to a SaaS company and, you know, I'm trying to reach out to the CRO, he's not responding. I'm going and digging down to the account executive level. How are these processes happening? What are you guys seeing day to day in your day to day? How would you improve your processes? Like not trying to book a meeting, but it's much better to learn about the organization, not from your research, but from the words of people that actually work there. So if your intent of making a cold call every single time is to book a meeting, you're doing it wrong, right? Like there's, I don't want to book a meeting with an AE. They don't need to see the demo. But what I want to learn from the AE is what does this look like in your day to day? You know, I love that. And Sean, I'm going to let you take a stab at this uh, question here too. So, what would be the best formula to create a catchy email to entice for open rates to stay top of mind? Like, what do you have any formulas or frameworks you want to share quickly? Formulas and frameworks. I mean, for me, it's 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 what my hypothesis is, right? I'm I'm attacking pain. I'm attacking what I'm seeing with current customers, right? So in terms of that, I would say depends on what, what stage I'm at in my sequence, right? For the original, obviously, I'm trying to call out something that's wrong, right? You know, what we're seeing in the industry um, and lean more into pain because, you know, you got to make it a need to have, not a nice to have, especially today in, in today's economy. You know, people aren't just buying software like they do, you know? Um, so you got to make it a need to have and figure out, is this happening in their business? We're seeing it here. Is it happening to you too? And I, just to piggyback off that, when you asked about opening, I'm a big believer in, well, obviously, you know, the subject lines is what get the emails open. The body is what gets a response. Um, but putting just creative things in the subject line, not just like a boring, we can tell it's a sales email. And if you have a tool, like a sales efficiency tool where you're able to A-B test, A-B test it, 
you know, put one that's more generic, put like some random one of whatever, like your, your job is to get them to open the email and read it. So like do some funny, you know, like whatever, just try it out. Yeah. Cool. I like that. And I, Luke, I really like that subject line that you just put in the chat. No action required. That's interesting. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Um, Y'all, we have a few minutes left. I have one last question for everyone. What are the best pieces of collateral that you follow up with today? So we talked a little bit earlier about some of the pieces of collateral that you can follow up with. But question for everyone, like, what do you follow up with? Um, And let us know in the chat if you have something unique that we haven't mentioned. We've talked about white papers, blog posts and company collateral third-party content. Um, We didn't really touch on this too much today, but video content too. You can send video messages. So let us know in the chat if you have any collateral ideas for folks. Um, But Emmy, Sean, you know, we have a few minutes left. Is there anything else, kind of any last pieces of advice you'd have for folks or any last pieces of like, don't do this advice? (laughs) Parting words for the group? Well, you brought up video. I think um, we talked about this the other day. Like I like when someone takes the time to make a personalized video for me. Um, and I, cause I appreciate that I don't get very many of them. So when someone goes out of the way to do that, I think then I at least will respond and maybe, and say, maybe I'm not interested or I'm happy to learn a little bit more. I can't promise you that we're gonna buy anything, but thank you for taking the time. Um, so I like that. Yeah. Sean, what about you? What, what do you think? Um, I would I would say, you know, the biggest thing that I would I would focus on is being different, right? Like, especially with AI coming out and being able to send hundreds and hundreds of emails, personalized emails to prospects everywhere, you know, um, to all of your accounts, right? I think it's standing out, being creative, like Emmy said, right? Like coming up with something funny, right? Like that ties back to the reason why you're reaching out. But be yourself. You all were hired for a reason at your company. Put your own spin on it. Just because it worked for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Have your own voice, especially when you're prospecting. Mm, I'm seeing so much interesting takes in the chat. I wish we had even more time to talk through this. Trey, I love the third-party content take here. I do that too. It, it makes you come off as a thought leader in the space and not just someone who works for a company and is trying to push something on you. Um, I also see you know, you don't respond to collateral, but you do respond to people. I think if there's anything that I want people to take away from this session, it's humanize your outreach to the best of your ability, strategize so that you're not reaching out to an overwhelming number of people a day and following up with an overwhelming number of people, because that's really going to take the humanity out of your outreach. Emmy, Sean, it was such a pleasure to have you both on today. I really want everyone to feel empowered to continue showing up to these shows. I saw a lot of familiar faces today, which was great. Um, Emmy, Sean, where can people find you if they want to connect with you directly? LinkedIn's probably the best. Um, shoot me a message in the LinkedIn request to say that you're on the webinar. Um, probably comes from my cybersecurity background. They had us like, I don't believe anybody's real. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know you. So just say, just say like that you're on the webinar and I will absolutely connect with you. Yep. Same thing. LinkedIn, best. Uh, happy DM, DM me, whatever, you know, um, happy to respond. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn, probably the best. Awesome. Cool. Well, this was really fantastic. Thanks so much, everyone. Super stoked to see you all in the next one. Thank you. Hi. Thanks, guys.